Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 33, verses 13 through 22. Hear God's word to us. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Community, it is indeed good to see you at church here this morning. There have been many special days that have passed since we've seen each other last. Let me see if I can catch it up. Uh, uh, Happy Thanksgiving. If I didn't see you on Thanksgiving, I hope you had a successful Black Friday. If any of you are out there braving the crowds, I'm a Black Friday shopper. Uh, Or maybe you were more socially conscious with a small business Saturday. I know that's kind of our crowd, so happy that as well. And may I be the first to wish you success at Cyber Monday, uh, should that be I hope you get all the free shipping, all the coupon codes, make them count. This is, uh, this is extra, this is second service only, didn't do this in first service, but you should know this church at Macy's, they had buy one, get one on the most luscious towels you've ever seen, and I was trying to get like a whole set, you know, I wanted the towel, the hand towel, the washcloth, and the buy one, get one was on the lowest price item, so I did three online checkouts, you see what I'm saying, to make sure I got all the deals, so if that's helpful to you on Cyber Monday, take it, that's free bonus, not the main message this morning, but certainly worth your notes. Um, There have been many celebrations since we've seen each other last, and I do love holidays. I love special days with special people, so I am sincerely glad to see you this morning in church, and I hope that over the past few days, you've had some time to maybe slow down a bit, uh, pause, gather with some folks that are dear to you, and think about um, either things or people whom God has brought into your life uh, for whom you're thankful or things that have been uh, blessings to you this year. I hope there's been time for you to do that this past week. Uh, But I also want to know, want you to know, uh, that I'm aware and that we're aware that some years it is hard to be thankful, isn't it, at Thanksgiving, right? Some years thankfulness is very easy, right? Some years thankfulness is not. Um, there are seasons and moments uh, when, it, when it is difficult to name life's blessings, uh, when it's difficult to acknowledge the good gifts that God's given us. And so I just want to let you know that we, we're aware of that. And the Christian faith has always been a faith that acknowledges both the, the glorious parts of human existence, right, the beautiful parts of human existence, and the difficult and challenging parts of human existence, right? Followers of Jesus know how to do both. We both know how to celebrate, and we know how to mourn. And so whether it's been a year that's made thankfulness very easy, 
or whether it's been a year that made thankfulness difficult, do know this, you're in a church that wants to celebrate with you or cry with you or most likely both, right? And you're sitting down rows with folks that are glad you're here this Sunday. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, we need each other, church. We need each other, especially at this time of year. Now, I mentioned already we've been celebrating a lot of special days lately, and you might not have known it when you arrived here this morning, but this is a special day at Christ Community's downtown campus because we are beginning Advent. We are launching into uh, one of my favorite seasons in the life of the church. With Advent, the church intentionally focuses its concentration on the story of God entering our world in the person of Jesus Christ. During Advent, we read scriptures and we recite creeds and we light candles, all so that we might intentionally focus ourselves on the fact that God came to earth, that God entered space and time and took on flesh so that he might quite literally be Emmanuel, right? As we just sang, God with us. God came to earth. And so for 1,500 years during this time of year, the church has celebrated that reality at Advent, right? It's made Advent a special time of the year where we bring out these candles and we take weeks to go through the themes of hope and peace and love and joy. Those are the four Advent themes, hope and peace and love and joy. And so this Advent at Christ Community, we're going to engage those themes by studying the Psalms. The Psalms, which constitute kind of a, a book of lyrical poetry in the middle of the Bible. These psalm, Psalms, which were songs that literally sustained God's people uh, during both good times and bad times. Songs that the nation of Israel would gather together to sing in moments of national celebration and in moments of exile and despair, right? These songs are going to be our texts during the next four weeks in a series that we've titled Songs That Sustain Us. And our prayer is that during this Advent season, as we engage these sacred songs of Scripture, these songs that have sustained God's people, we might cultivate within ourselves a more abiding hope, right, and a more abounding love, and a more steadied peace, and a more over flowing joy. That's where we're headed in this series. And let's be honest, I mean, this time of year, who doesn't need a little extra sustaining, right? Who doesn't need a little more support and encouragement? We all probably need a little more help and some reassurance and some guidance and some strength. We all need it every season of life to be sure, but I think specifically in the holiday seasons, right? Because this moment, which brings such great celebration, can also bring such deep pain, right? It always has both. And so these songs that sustain us, we, we're trusting that right now and in the coming months and as we begin the new year, these songs might become the songs of our hearts and give us uh, that added sustaining power that we need. And so during these next four weeks, I just want to start now by making the invitation. Uh, will you join us as we engage one psalm a week, right? Learning from these songs. Will you tune into this series? If you're in town, will you be here? I would love to see you. And I think we have a lot to learn from these psalms. And this week, we begin our exploration in one psalm that we've entitled, A Song of Hope. A Song of Hope. And I want to be upfront with you, this song of hope, it's a really good song. I think it's a compelling song. It's a, it's a deep song. It's a song that I believe might actually have the power to sustain us when times get tough. And I think that makes this song of hope unique. I think it makes it unique because here's the thing. Hope, uh, 
I think many of us would say, hope, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing, right? Thumbs up for hope. Hope, that's, that's a necessary thing, right? Two, two thumbs up for hope. It's a great thing. I love the word hope, right? It's a, it's a good thing when we talk about it in the abstract, but it's a difficult thing to experience, isn't it? Hope gets great approval ratings, right, when it's mentioned, but I think it's a difficult thing for us to embody and to live out. A friend of mine put it this way. He said that hope is one of those uh, greeting card words, right? Really pretty, uh, really gorgeous, really nice to hear, but a, a hard thing to embody, and sometimes it can feel a little shallow or a little hollow, right? Uh, hope looks great when it's printed on a decorative pillow, but hope is really challenging to live out and experience and possess. Now, I should say, my friend isn't the only one who's offered an opinion on hope. Some of our greatest artists and most thoughtful thinkers have engaged this topic of hope, and here's some things they've said. In, in the 1994 cinematic classic, Shawshank Redemption, which I love, right, and it keeps TNT in business, let's be honest. Uh, in Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne says to his friend Red, he says, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies, right? That's beautiful, isn't it? Hope is a good thing. Hey, maybe even the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. That's, that's beautiful. And the famed poet Emily Dickinson, she once said, uh, hope is a thing with feathers, right? She's talking about a bird. Uh, hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all, right? Thank you, Emily. Uh, for that, that gorgeous opinion on hope, right? Hope, it's a good thing, maybe the best thing. Hope, it's a thing with feathers that never stops singing, right? I think this is a lot of the language that swirls around in our culture about hope. I think what gets peddled as hope in our culture are oftentimes sweet sentiments like this, which are beautiful. I love Emily Dickinson. I love Shawshank Redemption. But I don't think that these definitions of hope and these explanations of hope go that deep. They're gorgeous, they're absolutely beautiful, but they don't talk about the difficulty of hope. And they don't talk about the challenge of sustaining hope, and they don't explicitly name a source of hope that is strong and will actually hold up when things get tough, right? These are, these are gorgeous, pretty words that summarize hope, but, but I'm not sure that these types of words or these kinds of thoughts will sustain us. And here's the thing, church, sadly, I think we've peddled these ideas of hope so much and folks have thought, well, this must be what genuine hope is, that then when it fails, they become cynical and despondent, right? I look around our world and I see a lot of hopelessness. I don't know about you, but it feels to me like everywhere I look, I, I see cynicism and despair. I see kind of avoidance of things that are actually bad. I see people uh, pretending that things aren't as bad as they are or people just assuming things could never get any better, right? I see those kind of reactions a lot, but I don't see a lot of hope. And to me, that's instructive. It tells me that, you know, if hoping were as easy as Emily Dickinson makes it sound, if hoping were as easy as Andy Dufresne makes it sound, if hoping were easy, everyone would be doing it, but, but it's not everywhere. And hoping, it's it's hard. And so I'm convinced that this, this hopelessness that I see all around us, right, and some of us are tempted to say, well, it's just a recent thing. Man, 2016 has been a weird year. That's why everyone's so hopeless. I know that's one explanation, but I think it goes deeper than that. In fact, in, in his classic novel, Cat's Cradle, Kurt Vonnegut, he imagines like a brand new religion, a totally new religion in this book, and he calls it uh, Bokanonism. 
right? And like any good religion, Bokanonism has its own set of sacred scriptures, right? The book of Bokanon. And, and what I love is in the 14th book of the book of Bokanon, right, in this imaginary religion that Kurt Vonnegut paints up, uh, he titles the chapter this. It's a long title. The chapter is titled, What Can a Thoughtful Man Hope for Mankind on Earth Given the Experience of the Past Million Years? So this is the title of the chapter, right? What can a thoughtful man hope for, mankind on earth, given the experience of the past million years? And what's so ironic is that this chapter with a massive title, right, that's really a deep question, what, hey, what can humans realistically hope for? This big title in Kurt Vonnegut's book, it has but one verse in this chapter in the fake book of Bokunin, right? And this verse has but one word, and the word is this, nothing. What can mankind hope for in light of everything we've seen? Vonnegut says nothing. And the reason I mention this book, this old book, is because hopelessness is nothing new. And I think if we're honest and if we take stock of human experience, both as we've experienced it and as we've heard it from others, I think we'd admit to ourselves that it's more easy for people to abandon hope than to embrace hope. That hoping is not second nature to us, that actually what is more natural and what is more second nature is to be cynical, to have despair, to live life without hope. And the good news this morning, as we begin our series song that sustains us, is I believe that hoping can be learned. That even though hoping is hard, hoping is something we can learn to do and hoping is something that can grow within us. It's something we can both learn and something we can grow into. And I think that we get a roadmap for how to grow in our hope in Psalm 33. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, will you join me now in Psalm 33? Uh, Psalm 33, it's on page 463 of our community Bibles. And, and I think that this Psalm, which we've titled A Song of Hope, teaches us how we can both grow in hope and how we can become people of hope. Psalm 33, and it starts teaching us from the very first verse. So I'm going to begin there. Look with me at Psalm 33, verse 1. It says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Don't miss this. Our song of hope begins with a call for praise. Our song of hope begins with a call for praise. The psalmist says that praise, it, it's, it's fitting and it's proper. It, it's the right thing for God's people to do. We're supposed to, to praise God. And he begins his psalm, this song of hope, by beckoning God's people, Israel, to gather together and sing praises to the Lord. Hey, the psalmist continues. He says, Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the string with loud shouts. Notice this. The psalmist, he, he's painting a picture of a gathering. He's imagining all Israel coming together, and people bring their instruments, right, if they're good at it. They bring their lyre, which is like that little harp that Hercules has in Disney, one of those, right? So you bring your lyre, you bring your big ten-string harp, right? You bring your voice, if you have it, and you gather together, and everyone's going to sing praises to the Lord. And look at the particular kind of songs he says they're, they're going to sing. I absolutely love this. The psalmist instructs God's people when they gather together and bring their best and come with their instruments, he says, and sing to him a new song. 
which is the psalmist's way of saying, hey, be creative. When you get together, when you come together with your instruments and your voices, when you, when you gather together to praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. And, and the psalmist's logic is this, that God is continually doing new things for his people. God is constantly at work. God didn't stop working 10 years ago and hasn't done anything since. God, God is constantly active. And so if God is still working, and if God is still doing new things, we need some new songs, right? It's okay to sing the song from 10 years ago. We should still celebrate what God did 10 years ago, but we need some new songs. So bring your best think thinking. Bring your best creativity. Bring your best artistry and gather together and sing new songs to the Lord, right? Come with all your skill. Come with everything you have. And if you don't have it, don't worry. Someone else has it, right? But come, gather together, and let's praise our God for His continued work in the world. The Lord continues to sustain and protect you, the psalmist says. The Lord continues to love and care for you. So come together and praise Him. Gather together and bring God the praise that He's due. This song of hope, it begins with a call to gather it begins with a call for God's people to get together. And I think this is instructive for us. I think this should give us a, kind of a window into an environment where hope grows. I think this has implications for us that might change our priorities or change our habits. Because here the psalmist is suggesting gathering together is one of the primary contexts in which hope grows. Simply put, he says, hope grows when God's people gather to praise Him. When God's people join together and consciously choose to praise God for who He is and for what He's done, uh, that's the kind of environment, the psalmist says, where hope can grow. And I think this should make sense to us. I'm not sure this is a, a difficult concept to understand because, let's be real, church, there are times when we gather together when your hope is high and my hope is low. And there's times when we gather together where my hope is high and your hope is low. And what we need in those moments, if I'm coming in with low hope, I need to hear you sing with sincerity songs of praise to the Lord. I need to hear you talk about how you've seen God at work, how you're trusting that God's been active, how you've seen God come through in some way or felt his love deeply that week. When my hope is low, I need to hear that. And when my hope is high, I need to share my hope, and I need to tell you what I've seen God do. And if your hope is low, you benefit from hearing my stories. Do you see this? There's something that happens when God's people gather together, and what's beautiful about it is that it allows the song of hope to continue to come from all God's people gathered, even when some individuals are having a hard time singing it, right? The psalmist is calling God's people together and he's saying, you want an environment where your hope can grow? Come together, hear the song sung, and if your hope is high, sing loud. And if your hope is low, listen to your sisters and brothers sing and be encouraged. And know that it's okay to wait. You don't have to sing immediately, but let your heart be stirred. Let that fire be rekindled of hope in your heart as you hear your brothers and sisters with sincerity sing about their hope in the Lord. Because here's what's true, church. Hope dies in isolation. Hope does not grow or flourish in isolated individuals. Hope grows in community. So if your hope is weak, if you need fresh fuel for your hope, if you need that flame of hope rekindled in your heart, I think the psalmist suggests that one of the best things you can do is come to church. 
even if it's just to listen to other people sing the songs with sincerity, right? Even if you feel like, oh, I can't really say that right now with where I am, that's okay. The psalmist says, hey, come and gather and hear these songs of hope. Gather together and allow your hope to be rekindled. I think this is why the author of Hebrews says that Jesus' followers should not give up meeting together, right? Even though some have but rather they should keep meeting together and encouraging one another, even more so as the day approaches. Why? So they can benefit from one another's hope. Church, it's just a fact. I need you, right? And you need me and we need each other for many, many reasons. But specifically in this time, when so many have lost hope and found hope difficult to hold on to, we need each other so that we might maintain our hope and grow our hope. I need to hear stories of how you've seen God at work, and I need to be honest when my hope is weak, right? And most significantly, I need to choose not to check out, right? Not to say I'm not really feeling hope right now, so I'm going to wait. Hope dies in isolation. I need to commit to keep coming even when my hope level is low. I need it, church, and you need it. Our hope grows best in environments of gathered praise. That's the first thing the psalmist wants us to see in this song of hope. But that's just the first part of his message. There's more. So our hope grows as we gather together to praise God. That's step one. Step two, it is, it is strengthened and secured when we place it in something solid. Our hope is strengthened and secured when, it, when it's placed in something solid and something sure in something we can trust. This is where the psalmist goes next. Uh, he says in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Right? So again, we, we open when a call to praise, and now the psalmist is transitioning. And you notice he's starting to talk about the word of the Lord. Right? So he's called all people together. Now he's got a new topic. He says, The word of the Lord, it, it's reliable and it's powerful. It's almost as if he's saying, You want hope? Okay, well, step one is to gather together, right, and be encouraged. But step two is to put your hope in something solid. And I think that solid thing that he's suggesting is God's word. So he emphasizes the power and reliability of God's word. I mean, look at verse six. He says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, right? So he's saying the Lord's word, this thing that's faithful and sure, right? He's already said that in verse four. That Lord's word, it made the whole world right? It's powerful, right? All the heavens were made by it. And then he continues in verse 9 saying, he spoke, meaning God spoke, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm, right? So the psalmist, he's emphasizing the reliability and the power of God's word by saying God's word, it's something you can trust, and it's incredibly powerful. It made the heavens. It made the world. But why this emphasis? Why this transition in this song of hope to talking about God's word. I think it's because the psalmist knows how hope works. He knows that hope sustains us during a difficult today by promising a better tomorrow, right? Hope, it, it sustains us in a difficult today by promising a better tomorrow. That's just how hope works, right? Any kind of hope, that's how it works. Hope allows us to endure a difficult now because it grants us confidence that something better is coming. Simply put, a hope is built on promises. It's built on promises. And so here, the psalmist begins a discussion on God's word because he's suggesting that if you're going to build your hope on promises, and all hope is built on promises, right? This is just how hope works. If you're going to build your hope on promises, why not build your hope on the promises of one who can be absolutely trusted? 
one who is absolutely sure, one whose word is powerful enough to create the whole world and who has been reliable and true in anything he's ever said. Why not build your hope in the promises of that one, right? That's the psalmist's invitation here. Because it's true, church, there are all kinds of other authorities and all kinds of other individuals who make promises of hope, right? They offer all sorts of theories and reasons and sources for hope. Did a lot of reading about hope this week. I'm just going to pick one example for you. In Psychology Today, there's a piece entitled Reliable Sources of Hope. And in that piece, the author attempts to outline various sources of hope for people in various difficult situations, right? So it's kind of like, oh, you're feeling sad because of this. Here's a thing. Sad because of... So you get the idea, right? So I'm reading this article, and here's one of the author's suggestions. He writes, if you are too depressed to do more than lie in bed, might you find hope in the small things? the budding tree you see from your window, uh, the TV news of a lost child found. Now, I want to be very clear, church. Uh, I love both these things. These are both good things. I love budding trees. It means that gray winter is almost over, and if you were here in the summer, you remember I am a sun creature. I love the sun. I want to be outside in the sun. Bye-bye winter. I love budding trees, and I love happy news stories. Okay, I will cry. That last story of World News tonight, I watched it with my parents when I was home there, right? I lose it every time. I love both these things, budding trees, happy news stories. They're good things. But here's the thing. These are promises of hope that I don't think ultimately come through when things get really bad, right? These are good secondary sources of hope. I get encouraged when I see a budding tree, right? I get encouraged when I read the news, but these are sources of hope that won't sustain when things get really, really hard, right? These are promises of hope that are capable of being doubted, right? Well, sure, the tree buds, but not my life. Well, sure, the happy news story, but that can never, right? These are promises of hope. Again, good promises, better promises, but, but promises that you can doubt. And I want to be clear, these, these aren't bad things, but there's a better thing to hope in, right? There's God's word, which is true. God's word that made the world. And God says things in his word that promise a better tomorrow, right? God says that a day is coming when he will wipe every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's a promise that God says, right? Again, I love budding trees and I love happy news stories, but I love the source of this phrase more. God says that day is coming, and God also says that he is at work in all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? Do you get that? That even though things seem dark now, that even though things seem tough now, the God who made the world with his word and the God who can be trusted, he says that he's at work in all things and that actually he's working things together for the good of those who love him. And that one day, and my hunch is it's that same day he's talking about when he's going to wipe all the tears, one day it's all going to make sense. And one day we'll be able to look back over the story of our life and over the story of the whole world. I mean, he's a, he's a masterful, just orchestrator of all things. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I trust it, that one day we're going to look back and see, oh my gosh, all this made sense. All this was for the good of me and for everyone. God was at work and doing something remarkable, right? These are promises from God, promises that are true, promises we can trust, and I think promises that can be more sustaining to us as we're looking for a deeper source of hope, a sturdy source of hope, hope that has strong legs on it and a tough uh, and a strong foundation. The same God 
that made the world with his words promises you and me that a day is coming when everything will be made right, when he will wipe sin stain off the good earth he created. I hope in that, church. That's a promise that gives me strong mooring in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's a source of hope that can sustain, right? So how does hope grow? The psalmist says, first, it happens when we gather together as God's people, right? That's the environment that hope grows. Then he says, second, that it needs a good source, right? It needs some strong foundations. And so he suggests that the best foundation for hope, uh, it's in the sure promises of God's word, right? That's what he's saying. But he's not done yet. There's one final movement in this song of hope. Uh, One more truth the psalmist wants us to grasp, and it begins in verse 13. 33, 13, the psalmist writes, the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned and he he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The, The psalmist says, the God who made you, Right? The God who rules the universe, the God who's in control of all that happens in the earth, he, he sits in his heavenly throne room and he looks out and he sees you. Right? God sees you. And then look at verse 18. He says, the eye of the Lord, right? this God in his throne, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Right, get this. The psalmist opens by saying, we've got to gather together and celebrate this, God. He, he goes through this thing of saying God's word is a stable source for hope, but he lands the psalm. He concludes it in this discussion of God's watchful presence, God's care for us, right? Seeing what he made and God's love. Specifically, he speaks about God's steadfast love. Do you see those words there? Steadfast love. And this is, it's one word in the Hebrew, but this is a very technical term. It's talking about God's loyal love, God's covenant love, God's unrelenting love, right? God's abiding and abounding and just permanent, you can't do anything about it, kind of love. And the psalmist says this love, this indestructible, inexhaustible love, that's what allows you and that's what allows me and what allows us to maintain hope even when we're tempted to throw in the towel. And and why? Why? How How does it do that? Because we're convinced that ultimately above and behind and around and underneath all that we experience is the enduring love of a God who looks down from heaven, not with scorn, right? Not with frustration, not with contempt, but instead is seeing us through the lens of love and moves toward us in that love. You see, friends, the psalmist wants you to know that God loves you, that God loves you. That's the message of all of Scripture. If you want the Bible in ascendance, that's a fairly good summary. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The fact that the God of the universe would choose to die on your behalf should prove to you how much he loves you. And that love, it is steadfast and it is unrelenting. But get this, church, before God could die, he had to come. Before God could get up on that cross in your place, and before he could get up on that cross in my place, before he could take upon himself the punishment for sin that was due to all humanity, before he could be flogged and whipped and crucified, before any of that could happen, he had to be born. He had to enter this world, and that's what we celebrate at Advent. That's what we embrace in this special season, that the God who looked out of the heavenly throne room and saw all the inhabitants of earth, right, like the psalmist describes, that he saw humanity's need, 
And he decided not to stay there in that throne room, but instead decided to enter space and time to become a human himself. And so he could take on the punishment of sin as a human and redeem all those he loves, right? He, before he could die, he had to come. And he chose to leave that heavenly throne room to come because he loves us. God loves us. And church, that's an easy thing to believe on Sundays. That's an easy thing to nod along to when we're all gathered and when someone up front reads something from Scripture, right, or we sing a song about how great God's love is, right? That's an easy thing to believe on Sundays. But I don't know about you, but right around the time Tuesday rolls around, just me talking about myself, right around the time Tuesday rolls around, it becomes a little harder, doesn't it, right? God's love doesn't seem as big. God's promises don't seem as certain, right? Gathering together, I don't know, I'm tired this week. I don't need to get together with anyone, right? Although I work here, so I have to come, right? But, it, but, but all those things, right? Sunday, it's great. I'm all in on Sunday. I get it on Sunday. But man, Monday, okay, I'm still riding high on Monday. But Tuesday, Wednesday rolls around, and gosh, it, it's lost something, hasn't it? It's easy for kind of hope to die out. And so what do we do in the meantime? If an environment where hope grows is when we're all here gathered together, what do we do in those periods in between Sundays, in between those times where our hope is rekindled and our hope is, is reformed and, and flourishes? What do we do in the in-between times? Well, I want to suggest that we learn to sing these songs that will sustain us. We learn to sing these songs that will sustain us. And what do I mean by that? Uh, we got to work on getting some new songs stuck in our heads. Have you all had that before, like a song stuck in your head. Uh, it happens, doesn't it? You don't even realize you're humming it, and then it's just there, and someone else might notice it in you, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to try to stop, but a few minutes pass, and you're right in there again. I mean, that's it, just how it works, right? The song, it gets stuck in your head. It happens to me all the time, right? And you're like singing it in the grocery, and then you realize folks are looking at you. Uh, it, it's like the song, it, it becomes the rhythm of your day, right? It sets the pace for your life. You've, you've experienced that, haven't you? Well, did you know that music advertisers and record labels, they've spent a lot of time and a lot of money trying to figure out how to get songs stuck in people's heads? Because, I mean, think about it. It makes sense. It's so profitable for them if one of their songs can become like the song of the summer or the song that's at everyone's wedding. So they've done research trying to figure out what gets a song stuck in people's heads. How do, how do we get our song to be the song that's in people's heads so that it'll be everywhere? And then, of course, right, it has more sales. So they've done all kinds of research, and here's what they've identified. I'm going to boil it down for you. They've said, they've discovered that the more you hear a song, the more you grow to love it. And the more you love a song, the more you want to hear it. Right? Do you catch that? The more you hear the song, the more you grow to love it. And the more you start to love that song, man, the more, the more you want to hear it. And they've given this kind of effect, this process, a fancy name. They call it the, the mere exposure effect. And so they've learned that if they can just expose you to their song enough, you're eventually going to fall in love, right? This is why Justin Bieber is everywhere. He's got a great team of advertisers, and they want to make sure that you're exposed to every song he produces so that you will grow to love it. Whether it is quality or not, you're going to hear it, and you're going to grow to love it. This is why uh, record labels will pay to have their singles promoted on radios, right? This is why you see music stars on, like, every talk show, right? It's like, why do they always end with a song? They're trying to get you hooked on this new song, right? This is how songs get stuck in our heads, right? 
And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they figured out how it happens, and they desperately want their artists to be the people that we hear and that we think of and that we come to love and then want to hear more of. And why am I telling you all this, church? It's because this Advent, our prayer as a pastoral staff is that we could get some new songs stuck in our head. Right? We get some new songs stuck in our head and stuck in our hearts. Our desire is that some of these sustaining songs from the Psalms could become the soundtrack that just keeps popping into our hearts when things get tough or popping into our, our heads when things get tough. Our, our desire is that these sustaining songs could come to shape how we experience God and how we experience one another and how we experience our circumstances. That's what we're going to be going for in this whole series. So how do we think it can happen? Well, the same way it happens with any other artist or any other music, right? Through repeated exposure. So that's why during this Advent season, we're inviting us as a whole church to repeatedly expose ourselves to Scripture, to repeatedly engage verses from these songs in the Psalms. That's why when you walked into church this morning, uh, there was a card like this one sitting on your chair, right? And you can grab it now if you want. You'll notice that the card contains kind of five short sections from the songs we're going to be engaging during the next five weeks, right? They're all printed right here on the card. And if you look closely, uh, you'll see right here that next to Song of Hope, which is this week's, right? November 27th, that's today. You'll see under Song of Hope, there's a few verses from today's psalm. I love these verses. It's Psalm 33, 20 through 22. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. I love it. Let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. Church, we're asking that over the next week, you'll read these verses again and again, right? At repeated exposure, maybe multiple times a day, with the goal of memorizing these chunks of Scripture, right? And why? Why memory? Why this process? Because we think that repeated exposure to the songs of God's Word are how we get these songs stuck in our head and stuck in our hearts. And we believe that getting these songs stuck in our head and our hearts will help us grow in hope. That when things get difficult, when circumstances sour, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if one of the first things that came to mind was, man, my soul, it waits for the Lord, right? He is my help and my shield, right? Your steadfast love, O oh Lord, may that be upon me even as I hope in you, right? Wouldn't that be a great thing to come to mind? The way that happens is through repeated exposure to the lyrics of these songs in God's Word, allowing them to sink in deep and become the tune to which our heart sings, right? Because we know it's true. The record labels tell us the more you hear a song, the more you grow to love it. And the more you love a song, the more you want to hear it. Church, if that's true, why wouldn't we expose ourselves to these sustaining songs in Scripture, right? These songs that sustained God's people through centuries in good times and in bad, right? In victorious seasons and in difficult seasons. These are great songs to get stuck in our heads and our hearts that I think will give us a more substantial hope that can be sustained even in the most difficult of circumstances, right? This song of hope that we find in Psalm 33, that's a psalm that I know I want stuck in my heart. And I want you to remember, church, that these psalms, these songs that sustain us, these were the same psalms that Jesus actually memorized and sang when he walked on earth. 
In fact, it was the uh, great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wisely noted that Jesus died on the cross with the words of the Psalms on his lips. I don't know if you remember that. It's been a while since Easter, but Jesus' final words actually come from the Psalms. Right? He quotes the Psalms in his last moments on earth. That tells me that these are indeed songs that can sustain us. As Jesus faced his darkest moment, he quoted a section from the Psalms. So memorizing these Psalms this Advent seems to us to be like a beautiful and powerful way to enter into this celebration of God's arrival on earth by singing and memorizing the very same songs that Jesus sang. So what do you think, church? I mean, we opened our time together today by saying we've had a lot of special days recently. What if we made this Advent a special season in the life of this church? What if for the next five weeks we thought, hey, I'm going to try to memorize, maybe not all of them, maybe I can't do it perfectly, right? It's a busy time of year, but I'm going to get some of these songs stuck in my head. I'm going to commit myself to Scripture memory, to this spiritual discipline that I think is going to refine me and build my hope. What if we made that kind of commitment? Because we all need hope, don't we? Every single one of us. And this Advent, I believe we can look to the God of hope as we commit to gathering together, and as we found our hope in His Word, and as we remind ourselves of His love, right, as exemplified by His coming, I think we can grow in hope as we engage and memorize these songs that He's given us. So I'd love to invite you into that process. This Christmas, may we become people of hope, right? Okay, let's pray. And Lord, hope is indeed hard. It's a difficult Thing, but we are uh, excited that hope can be learned, and we're excited that hope can be grown, uh, but we need your help in the process. And so, Lord, we're asking this morning uh, that you would give us the discipline and the strength and the ability, even if it seems like something we can't do, to internalize these songs of hope from you. Would you be with us this week as we try our best, Lord, to, to internalize these good words and these encouraging truths that you've left to us. Lord, we want to be people of hope, and we need to be formed into those kind of people. And so we're asking you as, as the master of all things to form us and to shape us into those kinds of people. And Lord, I also want to pray specifically to, today for those in our midst for whom uh, this holiday season has already been a tough one and for whom holidays are usually tough. I, uh, I know that's more than a few of us. God, I pray uh, especially for your comfort and your hope for those. I pray that we could be a body fitting enough uh, to be a comfort and an encouragement to them. And Lord, uh, give us good eyes to see when our brothers and sisters need a little extra hug or a little uh, extra support and give us a faithfulness and obedience to be the kind of church that does care well for those in our midst who need that, Lord. Uh, we need each other and we need you and your power to help us be a thriving community. So we're asking for it now this morning. It's in your powerful name we pray, amen.